Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. Sometimes we think of science as this kind of settled thing where the experts know everything and they have all the answers and everything is clear on the basis of experimentation and research. But that's not really how science works. Science is a big old jumble of questions and uncertainties and hypotheses and tests and failures and then some successes and then failures again. And this is a great example of that. In July, NOAA, the United States National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, found some lines of holes in the middle of the ocean floor, 8,300 feet below the surface, that they couldn't explain. And after trying to figure it out themselves, they went to social media. They said, okay, Facebookers, time to get out those scientists' hats. On Saturday's dive, we observed several of those sublinear sets of holes in the sediment. Similar holes have been previously reported in the region, but their origin remains a mystery. While they look almost human-made, the little piles of sediment around the holes make them seem like they were excavated by something. What's your hypothesis? I love that. I love making something that they can't explain a subject of public discussion just because you never know what people might think. And if you haven't seen the pictures, of course, we've got them over at Newsweek.com. But here's what they look like. Over a period of several feet, every few inches, you have a kind of a hole or slit in the sandy bottom floor of the ocean. Around each hole is a small pile of sand. You know, the kind of thing you see around an anthill, perhaps. Or if you're looking at burrowing creatures at the beach, you see this sometimes where they've dug it up and kicked it up over the top. One hole like this with the sand wouldn't make anybody's day. But a whole series of 20 or 30 of these in a perfectly straight line is kind of weird. And that's the thing they can't really explain. It definitely gives the appearance of regularity, which would imply a human origin. But who's poking holes at regular intervals in the ocean floor 8,300 feet below? Nobody that we know of. So then you have alternatives like something burrowing in a straight line and periodically coming up to chimney for water down into the burrow. Why? Nobody knows. Or maybe possibly something poking its beak down inside looking for things. Again, an unknown life form at 8,300 feet below. And the thing that's a little extra weird about it is there's no side tracks. You know, like if it had been something probing down deliberately, you would expect to see tracks on the side in this undisturbed area of the sand. And of course, when it doesn't seem to be obviously human and it also doesn't seem to be obviously biological, the next best guess becomes aliens, which seems unlikely. But you never know where the evidence will show up. So right now, what the scientists are going to do is they're going to go back down to these holes and they're going to take some samples and try to find DNA evidence of some kind of a life form, you know, fish scales or mucus or something left behind by a biological that's going to have been doing these holes. To me, I think even a better way to approach this would be to put a probe down in there with light and try to see if there's some connecting tunnel between all of these little divots. Because that would definitely tell you that it's biological instead of, let's say, somebody trying to pull a prank on Noah. And I'm not saying that the average person who's got access to this kind of technology is going to be pulling a prank, but of course, that would be another alternative. So again, like many things in science, what's the answer? To be determined. 
And now in the really strange things that people do that creep me out file, shrunken human heads. Now, this is something that has kind of taken on a life of its own, and in fact, the theories and rumors around shrunken heads by indigenous peoples have kind of turned them into a thing that were then fabricated commercially in order to sell to tourists, you know, so it's a little difficult to separate the real from the fabricated, but researchers from institutions in Canada and Ecuador say that they have at least authenticated one actual shrunken human head that is in a museum. Now, in South America, these shrunken heads are sometimes called sansas, and it is hard to tell whether they're authentic or not, because if they're real, which would be removed from the skull, boiled, reduced, extracting the fat and the grease, and, of course, killing microbes, not that they knew that's what was happening. And then, of course, without the skull there as a size, you could basically reduce down the figure of a person's head to a much smaller form. Why you would want to do that? Well, there's a lot of theories here. Shrunken human heads go back as far as the 1500s. Sometimes they were war trophies, like after the battle by the Shuar and the Aquar people of Ecuador and northern Peru. One theory is that they would be preserved in order to trap the deceased person's soul inside the shrunken head and prevent them from enacting spiritual revenge by getting out. You know, to stop the ghost from haunting you, you shrink his head so that he can't escape and get you. Possibly they were made from the heads of clan leaders who died naturally and then kept around to show respect or maybe to harness their power in some way. One study on the subject said that by creating a Sansa, the soul is trapped inside the remains as the eyes and the mouth are closed, so there can be no unintended impact on the living from the spirit's power. Sometimes they'd be displayed inside houses or on poles, not worn so much as people sometimes think. As my thought is if you're simultaneously trying to harness the power, but you're also keeping the mouth and the eyes closed to keep the power inside, how do you ever release it? I guess by prying open the eyelids or something? I mean, I don't want to think about this too much, okay? They're super creepy to look at. And then to imagine how they might be actually used, eh, gives me the willies. But here's one thing we do know. Despite them having been fabricated in an effort to commercialize them, which would make them not authentic, or even sometimes made out of not even human remains, the one Sansa that is held at the Chatham-Kent Museum in Ontario, Canada, has been validated as coming from an actual human head because of CT scanning technology, which at the very micro CT scan level, you can see individual follicles and it becomes really obvious with layers of skin that this is an actual person's face processed heavily and very old, that you're looking at under a scanner, which I think has got to be one of the weirdest jobs. What'd you do today, honey? Oh, nothing much. Just scanned a shrunken head from 500 years ago to make sure that it was real. Oh, nice. And then, oh, you know, paperwork and answering emails like usual. And finally, sometimes what you intend as a joke, not everybody understands. That is true of every single joke, by the way. But here's the story. Etienne Klein, a director of research at the French Alternative Energies and Atomic Energy Commission, the CEA, posted a photo on Twitter. It looked like a red and orange circle against a black background. Alongside it, in French, he wrote, Photo of Proxima Centauri, the closest star to the sun located 4.2 light years from us. She was taken by the JWST, the James Webb Space Telescope. This level of detail, he wrote, A new world is revealed day after day. You say, well, what's wrong with all of that? Well, nothing if it had actually been a photo from the Webb telescope. Instead, it was a close-up photo of a cross-section of chorizo sausage. (laughs) Which means it's a total fraud. But he meant it to be obvious. He meant it to be clear that, no, this can't possibly be a photo of an astronomical object. But then, seeing the comments and tweets, he posted a follow-up. 
In view of some comments, I feel compelled to clarify that this tweet showing an alleged snapshot of Proxima Centauri was a form of amusement. According to contemporary cosmology, no object belonging to Spanish charcuterie exists anywhere but on Earth. I will say, once you've made one joke, I'm not sure that the semi-snarky charcuterie reference is likely to go over well with the audience, but hey, he's French, whatever. Other people obviously got the joke. In fact, there's an allegation that somebody had kind of made this joke the day before, so it wasn't original. Somebody showed a photo of an olive claiming it was an exoplanet. Other people were angry and thought it was misleading and inappropriate for Klein, you know, a scientist, not to have made the gag more obvious by, say, publishing it on April 1st. Of course, you'd have to wait till then, but whatever. In a follow-up tweet, yes, this goes on. He writes, I come to present my apologies to those whom my hoax, which had nothing original about it, may have shocked. I simply wanted to urge caution with images that seem eloquent on their own. Speaking to the French news magazine Le Point, he said it was the first time he'd made a joke like that. Well, that'll teach you. And he said he meant it to illustrate that on this type of social network, Twitter, I assume he meant, fake news is always more successful than real news. An interesting bit of uh, meta-analysis. But obviously the point here is that when you look at the photos that are coming back from the telescope, you can't tell whether they're real or fake or somebody's marble countertop that they took a close-up of. We've all seen those photos. And there's something simultaneously magical and mystical about these pictures, while also recognizing that we don't really know enough to know whether something is authentic or ordinary taken in an interesting photographic light angle, which has sometimes been the response to the web photos. Sort of an, oh yeah, you think that's cool? Well, here's a cross-section of sausage. All of which, to me, harkens back to the ongoing conversation about a completely unrelated subject, modern art, where if you show somebody a brilliant painting by somebody like Pollock and then you show them something made by a four-year-old, the question is, will the art community, if told the proper background tale, really be able to tell the difference? Now, I'm not saying that the photos from the web telescope are the same as a three-year-old splatter paint, but I think you see some of the similarities here, especially about psychology and what we're willing to believe or how we interpret things based on the story of the origins that come with the picture. And maybe his point about social media is well taken. That's it for the Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. And consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. Before you go, hit the five shrunken head review, because four is never enough when it comes to shrunken heads. I appreciate it. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek. Newsweek.